week I am really excited to speak to the incredible author Samuel Pollan. Samuel has written a book called The Year I Didn't Eat and I literally read this book in one day. I found it so insightful, so interesting and really good for a male perspective on an eating disorder to finally be out into the world. Don't forget, you can find us on Tribe Talk. Make sure you subscribe so you can get the latest episodes. And if you're there, just give me a little five-star rating. Um, Always good. Follow me at Healthy Balance with Emily on Instagram. But without further ado, here is my interview with Sam. Hello. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Good. How's it going? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for, firstly, for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to kind of chat to you a little bit about your book. I personally read your book in in a day, which for me is quite impressive because normally I'm an audio person. I'm not really a reader, um, which is slightly ironic because I've written a book myself. Um, (laughs) But I found it really interesting to see um, the topic from a a male perspective but what I wondered if you could give a little bit about it um, kind of the sparks notes of it for me. Sure I will do my best Uh, feel if there's things I missed that you want to know feel free to kind of ask me them. Uh, So uh, yes I'm 31 now uh, and I this year I published a book um, called The Year I Didn't Eat which is about a boy uh, who has anorexia and that links back to uh, my own experience of an eating disorder of anorexia when I was uh, about 12, 13, 14. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's, it's kind of an experience that um, actually lots of boys and young men go through, but we don't necessarily uh, think of that very much. It's less, less known that that's something that happens in, uh, in, in men and in, in boys. And that was... That was essentially the reason I wanted to write that book. I felt like I had a perspective that maybe other people didn't and that, that people would find helpful if they were going through that. You know, there's not a lot of media that maybe if you're going through that you can identify with and can relate to. Um, so that was kind of, that was the impetus for me, really. I found that there was quite a lot of it that I resonated with. So I personally went through an eating disorder myself um, and mine was about a decade Um, give or take and something that I found through my treatment kind of through day treatment and things like that was that I met men and young men that I didn't really expect to meet and uh, there was one guy that really stuck in my mind and 
he was in his late 40s, early 50s. Um, he was one of the nicest men I've ever met. He'd struggled with alcoholism, but he also was an anorexic. And I remember the first time I saw him and I suddenly, my kind of little tiny mind and this view of what a person with an eating disorder looks like was completely blown out of the water. And when I kind of came across you and I saw um, your, your book and what it's about, I just thought this is exactly what we need. We need more men talking about their experiences and, and being able to open up about it because it is quite a female orientated view that we have, but actually there are so many men that struggle with eating disorders. How did you find the process of, I mean, this has been a long time in the making, hasn't it, this book? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the kind of realities of publishing mean that things often take a long time. So I probably, probably, I probably spent about a year writing it, and then there was sort of a year period where it was being, um, you know, uh, farmed out to publishers, <laughs> trying, to find some, trying to find a home for it, I think mm. exactly. How, uh, how my agent likes to put it. Um, and, then, and then that's typically kind of 18 months from, from kind of signing a contract to a book being on the shelves. So inevitably you're talking about, I guess that's what, three years or something like that. But, and that's, that's very typical, you know, it's always quite a long gestation. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, it took a while to sort of um, get there. <laughs> How did, you, how did you find writing it? Because I'm, I'm assuming you wrote it, well, you wrote it quite far after the fact, after your kind of experience. Did you have, because in, in the book, um, you've got quite a lot of like journals and diaries that you write in. Did you still have them that you could kind of go back to or was a lot of it memory-based writing? Yeah, um, the short answer is no. Uh, I didn't have, I don't have... Uh, much documentation. I have um, some kind of um, like NHS report card type things, like documents that were to do with my treatment, mm-hmm. um, which were useful. Um, but it was mainly about remembering and about um, you know. I also I talked to people who get who who been been through this kind of get bringing other experiences as well. I talked a bit to my family about what it was like from their perspective. Because one of the kind of things that um, comes through in the book is is the kind of role that. Max, the character's uh, family, play in kind of helping him with his eating disorder or not, as, as things go. Um, but yeah, it was memory-based, and I accept, you know, that there's inevitably some interpretation that happens because of that. But I think the flip side of that is um, it's not a book you'd want to write if you if you felt kind of close to an eating disorder, if you felt like you this was something you had, you know, it was that long view that allowed me to write this in a way that was sort of um, safe for me and also allowed me to think quite quite um, carefully and kind of analytically about what, what was right for someone to read about this experience. Mm. It's quite funny though, actually, that you say that because when I was reading it, I almost got about halfway through and then suddenly thought, hang on, the ca- <laughs> this is probably really silly of me as well. Shows that I'm a puppy sleep deprived. Um, but I got about halfway through and I was like, hang on, the, char- the, the character's called Max and the author's called Sam. And I suddenly realized, hang on, this, this isn't Sam going through this, but this is yeah. a character. And, um, and I think that really just shows that the writing is so true to life. 
and really descriptive in a way that you almost kind of forget that it is it's based obviously on true events but it isn't a linear kind of true story if in that sense yeah well that's that is very kind of you firstly um yeah it's i mean i deliberately didn't write you know i wrote a character that is very much based on my own experience because i wanted the representation of an eating disorder to feel um authentic and true to how it actually feels because i think it is a very hard thing to um to get people to understand that experience um but i didn't want it to be my story you know part of the reason i was writing uh, fiction is because i think a wider group of people engage with fiction than would you know people would pick up a a book that is a good story that happens to have a lead character who's going through an eating disorder much more than they would pick up a um a a kind of memoir about having an eating disorder, right? They, they cater to quite different groups of people and particularly because this, this is a book that's sort of designed for a younger audience. It's kind of intended for sort of 13, 14, 15 year olds. Um, I, you know, I wanted that to, I wanted, I thought fiction was the right uh, vehicle for that. Um, it's very kind of you to say it is an honest, kind of true representation of an eating disorder. It's obviously everyone's experience is slightly different. So it's so kind of, um, getting that right is a challenge, but yeah, I, I spoke to people and I tried to kind of bring in and build a character that had a cross section of different kind of symptoms and behaviors and experiences that that felt true to to the experience of going through that, even if it wasn't any one person's experience. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. So it, it kind of like pulls it through. What what I found quite interesting in the book, and I don't know if this is something that you personally did or whether it was kind of a choice for the character but you speak about your eating disorder as a person as somebody called Anna and I wondered if you did that as a way to kind of well firstly is that if you don't mind me asking is that based on something that you personally did or something through research that you decided to do? Yeah, no, not, it wasn't really something that when I was going through an eating disorder, it, it, I wouldn't say that it felt like it was another person. Mm -hmm. um, I know that some people kind of characterize it in that way when they're talking about it to sort of help them understand those thoughts and be, and kind of rationalize those thoughts and kind of pull apart what's, what's them and what's, what's the disease or, or the kind of, kind of mental um, health problem they're getting through um so in terms of the book i thought it was useful to do that for two reasons one um to kind of show that you could have that dialogue between max between the character and anna the, the eating disorder and it kind of allowed you to play out those thoughts um in a way that i think would be quite hard to follow if you were just reading it um as, as if it was coming from one person. Mm. Um, and secondly, it allowed me to, to sort of really clear, clearly mark the thoughts that were kind of coming from Max's eating disorder. It's making sure it's sensitive, making sure you're not something that, writing something that's potentially um, very triggering or difficult for people to read um, or kind of inspires people to develop eating disorders. Um, which, so you, you've, you probably saw in the front page of the book, there's a warning about that because I think that's, it's, it's hard to do it in a kind of true and authentic way without, without there being some risk there. But um, I was keen to make, to kind of um, show those thoughts as quite clearly coming from eating disorder just so, so people, so readers got that and kind of understood that. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think, I think one of, the, one of the really hard things about going through an eating disorder is that the, the things that are coming from, 
from your eating disorder just feel like you, right? It all feels like you and it feels like it's the right thing for you and it's the, it's the behavior you have to do. Um, and that's one of the one of the really hard things about mental illness is that you can't really step outside it. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was that's kind of a creative decision more than more than trying to represent authentically. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I met a lot of people in treatment that would name their eating disorder or their eating disorder um, behavior, but it wasn't ever something I really did. And what I really liked, I think it was right at the end, you speak about uh, your eating disorder isn't an intrinsic part of who you are. It's just something you live with for a while. And I really, really, I really liked that because when I personally developed my eating disorder, I was probably around the same age as you were. And I found personally that I grew up with it and it became in my head, it became a part of who I was. And a lot about recovery was about trying to discover who, who I am with who I was without it. And, and that note at the end was just like that, that's such a, that's such a truth. But at the time it didn't, it doesn't feel like it always. So I, I found obviously that, that personification, that, that kind of, that line between um, the character Max and Anna, it was a really clear one. It, it kind of personified both um, in a really concise way, which I think a lot of people are able to do, definitely. Yeah. How, how did you find, or how have you found the response to kind of the book professionally and personally? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, just, I guess, professionally, it's uh, very hard to tell how well a book is doing. Um, so you don't, uh, and I have no real metrics for that, and you don't for, for many months. So uh, I don't know. Um, I got a really nice kind of um, media response initially, which is great. And um, I have had um, responses from kind of individual readers saying saying that it speaks to them and that, that they found it helpful or interesting or just you know enjoyable which is which is really lovely and which is just personally is, is, is obviously a really um satisfying experience particularly when you're writing a writing a book that's quite personal in nature mm. um and then the really interesting thing i've had is um hearing from people who knew me at the time one of the things i talk about a bit of the book is this idea that people don't really notice and teenagers teenagers possibly particularly teenage boys um don't like look at each other or think about what uh, what the what the people around them are going through um and I think that's that is an important skill we all learn in, in life or try to learn in life is to like empathize. And this is not a criticism of those people at all because I didn't spot a million things they were going through, right? That's I think that's just a really hard thing to do. And one of the key messages of the book is that like trying to understand the people around you is a very valuable thing that we should all try and do more of. But yeah, so that was a kind of an, a kind of strange experience is people contacting me from high school saying like, huh. Didn't know about this. Cool. Congrats on the book, sort of thing. That was that was that was nice. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting because I maybe a stereotype, but younger boys go through, especially through teenagers, they kind of almost go through this hard shell stage where they've got a lot going on inside and they don't let it out. How did you How did you find that? with your own personal experience kind of going through 
um, anorexia. How did you find being a teenage boy and having to seek help? Yeah, it's, um, I think um, anorexia is like very lonely, right? Because a lot of the behaviors, a lot of, a lot of how it manifests itself is a kind of social anxiety because all of your social occasions involve food and being around other people can be very hard if you're going through something like that. So I think it is an inevitably lonely experience. And, ge- and like, by the way, I think being a teenager generally is quite lonely because um, you do not necessarily have the vocabulary or the way of talking about emotions that, that you would like, but you're going through all kinds of emotions that, that are kind of, you don't really understand and that you're, you're struggling to kind of get your head around. Um, and maybe also like being British is kind of like that as well. Mm. Yeah. Like that's, that's, Stiff upper lip. Yeah, we're not great at talking about emotions. And so <laughs> I have a very loving, supportive family, but we never really talk about how we feel, right, even today. And I think that's, you know, that is broadly true of uh, lots of, Lots of families. It's not just a British thing, but you know, I think it's particularly acute in British people. Um, so, in terms of like how how that was going through that, um, I think I was um, I was very fortunate in getting treatment relatively quickly that allowed that gave me um, a forum for talking through how it felt and kind of kind of relating that experience. Um, but you know, initially, no, I, I didn't have that, and you don't. I didn't have anyone to talk to about it really and I didn't know I wouldn't have known how to I I wasn't aware of anyone else in my life that had an eating disorder I wasn't um connected to you know people I know that you know in in some depending on the treatment you get some people will will be part of you mentioned you were you know you spoke to other people who'd been through eating disorders as part of your treatment I I didn't my treatment was just me and a psychologist and a nutritionist right and that was basically it Mm. um so yeah I mean it's how did it feel? It was it was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and this is I'm also um I should say that I my eating sort of was I guess it was nearly twenty years ago now, um getting on for twenty years and this was like we we had dial up internet. Um the internet was not a big thing. We did not have smartphones. There was not resources that I could um reach out to or none that I was aware of at that age anyway. Um, and in some ways, I think that makes things easier because um, I think there's, there's a whole thing around negative influences when you're going through something like that. But it was definitely pretty isolating, um, which was a big reason why I wanted to write the book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, every time somebody says dial up internet, I just think. Time where you have to like bargain with your parents to get off the phone so you can go on the internet for five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it's um. I, I think yeah. I think it, it's a difficult one because I think as the especially with the internet and social media etc. As that has become a lot more accessible, I think there's two sides of the coin. There's a lot of people that are openly talking about their experience in order to help others, but then there's also a lot of people that are still in a very dark place and you get things like, uh, you know, eating disorder, encouragement groups and tips and tricks. And, and it's quite difficult, I'd imagine, for teenagers, especially these days, to navigate that because, I mean, the internet, you can find whatever you want 
and a couple of seconds. And if you are in a dark place, being able to find something that, you know, will effectively make it worse and facilitate those negative emotions, those negative feelings, um, is probably quite easy. So I do kind of feel for, for younger people. I've spoken to a few, um, young people who struggle with mental health issues as well as kind of eating disorders and, uh, self-confidence and, I know that the internet and, and the media does have a very integral part to play, but I think that there is the opportunity for people like yourself um, to reach out to those people that are struggling and, and to widen people's opinions and views on things like eating disorders. And I think that over the past couple of years, there's definitely been a bit of a wider range of movement in terms of men's mental health. You've got um, people like, oh, what's his name? I always forget his Instagram handle. He talks a lot about um, body positivity. But yeah, so he talks a lot about body body image, body positivity. You've got people like Matt Haig who talk about um, depression and anxiety. And there's definitely a wider range of men talking about it, but I still don't really think that there's enough I don't know if you think similarly or... Yeah, I do. I mean, listening to you talk there, I think it's, you've said a lot of things that I would tend to say about um, kind of the internet and mental health. So I do think that... Um, I think it is often very easy for people to blame the internet for problems that um, really arise out of, well, all kinds of things, but sometimes a lack of um, health funding and sometimes the, the way that we deal with things in schools and you know, sometimes a, a kind of complex mixture of things. Um, and one of the things that I write about in the book is kind of the importance of connections, right? And actually people make very um, valuable and mentally helpful and healthy connections online. Um, I met my wife on Twitter, for example. Amazing. Uh, That's so, so cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, stuff like that is, is, is valuable and I think we should take away from it. But yes, obviously there's that, there's that um, kind of immediate access to um, harmful content, whatever that is. And as you say, particularly if you're going through something um, in a dark place, going through something where you are susceptible to, to things like that, um, having it at your fingertips is not um, ideal. Um, to answer the, the point about kind of awareness and, and kind of men speaking up about mental health, um, I think it's, I think things have got, I think there was a kind of, there was a moment sort of five years ago when we all started, there was lots of ads about kind of talking about depression and um, it was all set in kind of, you know, this, the context of like really ladsy um, backdrops, football teams and stuff, and you, you know, it's all right you should talk about this stuff, um, which is great. But I think that the, a possible um, limitation of that is that it speaks a very narrow concept of masculinity and a very narrow kind of subset of, of, of men. Um, I certainly struggle to identify with stuff like that, even when even earlier versions of that when I was at school and things like that, just because I wasn't really that kind of bloke <laughs> uh, that wasn't stuff I was into I didn't play football so it kind of felt like um, it wasn't stuff that I could identify with um, and sort of perversely particularly when I was going through an, an eating disorder a weird thing is that is it's so perceived as like a female thing that there is a kind of 
this, it, it sort of throws up your whole relationship with masculinity um, into question to some extent. So people often talk about kind of awareness being a really good thing, but a kind of a fig leaf for not really dealing with the problem around mental health. Uh, and actually, I think in eating disorders in men might be an exception to that in that people still don't really get that it's a thing. And I think that's that's still like people aren't on the lookout for it. And because it's something where early intervention and the people around you being aware of it and helping you with it is so important, um, I actually think awareness is, is kind of more valid as a um, approach uh, with eating disorders than it perhaps is in other circumstances. Uh, but it's, I guess it's, yeah, it's a really complex thing. I think we've, we've done a lot, but there's a lot still to do. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that that's, yeah, I, I mean, I just couldn't agree more because I think it is still very much a female orientated addiction, much like I think how alcohol addiction used to be. It used to be a very male orientated yeah. addiction. And we have these kind of stereotypical views on what an addict is, what it looks like, how it manifests. And actually being able to break those stereotypes and talk about it is so powerful. So when I saw your book, I was just like, oh my gosh, yes, this is what we need. Um, because although I think that, you know, we have made steps, I don't think there's enough of it. So you know, seeing somebody like you who is openly talking about it and um, also normalizing it, you know, it's not just a female thing, you know, it's it's a mental illness just like any other. It doesn't mean that it only targets one particular type of person. Um, and something that you said in your book as well, I think it was on the lines of somebody with an eating disorder, you think of a, a kind of middle-class white girl uh, who is teased by her friends and is using it as a control mechanism. And I think that that is very much how society views it. But I, and you've probably had the same experience. I've met people that are in their 60s that are suffering from eating disorders. I've, I've met men, women, young and old, and it doesn't, it doesn't pick and choose a certain person. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, complete, completely that. And also I would say that I think that stereotype we have um, of the kind of teenage girl um, or, or, or whatever that is, I think um, isn't helpful for people who fit the stereotype either because it's yeah. so coloured by um, misogyny and that kind of dismissal of eating disorders. It's like, I think there is, a, there is still a, there are many people um, in our society who would, um, take depression and schizophrenia and any other mental health problem seriously, but kind of still think eating disorders is like people need to grow up and stop dieting so much. You know what I mean? Like I do. Yeah. There's a, it, it fits into this fundamentally different um, spot in people's minds, and that is partly because they think of it as like a teenage girl's problem. And that dovetails with misogyny and with this kind of dismissal. So it's, it's uh, I guess, the point I want to make is when when I talk about kind of broadening that um, understanding of eating disorders, it's not because I think that, like, teenage girls are getting all the attention and they deserve less. Or kind of, it's because I think that's not helpful for anyone who's going through this. Ultimately, teenage, 
teenage girls, young girls are still most people who go through eating disorders still fit into that that bracket. So, I, but I do think that everyone is served by um, a kind of fuller, more nuanced understanding of, of that experience. Yeah, hundred percent. And you've recently you did a talk with some a group of teenage boys, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did a school a school talk last week actually for Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, I don't know when this is going out, but last week in real time um, <laughs> for Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, and that was really interesting. It was a 120-ish year nine boys. Um, wow. And they really um, insightful questions about this and, 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 felt, and it felt like they had a much more nuanced understanding of the different things a teenager can go through, than, certainly than I did when I was a teenager, right? Yeah, so that was, that was a really enjoyable experience and I think made me... Uh, hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've, I teach a couple of teenagers and sometimes they literally blow me away with the amount of world knowledge and grown-up opinions that they have at such a young age, which I, I, sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, I swear you know more than me. This is crazy. <laughs> what were some of the questions that I'm getting them to do my job now, but what was the most kind of interesting questions or com- you know, the questions that stick out most that they asked you? Yeah, so, so yeah, so one of the things they um, they asked me about was that, you know, if we, we, we have an obesity problem in this country, right, that would be the kind of prevailing medical view. Uh, and if we, if we kind of tackle uh, the problem that, you know, people, people are unhappy with their eating and aren't eating enough, are we, are we just going to kind of go too far the other way? Um, and I sort of talked to them about, I don't, you know, it's, I don't think it's quite like that in that I think a lot of eating problems, um, regardless of whether you end up, you know, um, underweight or overweight or, or whatever else, are, are rooted in unhappiness and, and people's kind of anxiety about um, the way the world sees them and also in kind of deeply practical things about behaviours and the media and there's, there's lots of different things happening there. But I don't think it's, it's a simple thing where like some people, it's not like a coin, you know, I'm thinking mm. of like the coin thing where you, the coin falls down and you push some people off, right? It's not, it's not like a linear thing like that. They asked me kind of in, in more detail about my own experience and what that was like and, and what it's like now. I think we have a, a pretty common characterization of eating disorders is that they're sort of forever and that you always have some problems with them. And that is definitely, you know, that is a, true for lots of people um, I'm lucky enough to really have not had an ongoing problem with my eating like after having an eating disorder um, and the reason I mentioned that is not to kind of bloat but because I think it's a really important thing for people to hear you know certainly when I was going through anorexia I could not imagine the idea of recovery like that didn't seem that something that was credible to happen to me um, they asked me I don't know they, they asked me lots of different things and lots mm. of different but yeah, it, it felt like uh, some of the questions were silly and some of the questions were um, serious, but it felt like they were really like engaging with the topic and what I was talking about and this kind of this big topic of like mental health and how we see, see, how we see ourselves in other people's eyes. And I think that's kind of the, the crux of it really is that um, particularly at that age, you're starting to think about, I mean, you mentioned the, the point about uh, not knowing who you are without, without an eating disorder. And I think that's really that's something I try and pick up on the book and that's definitely something that I've talked about when I've been talking around this book is that, um, you know, these, the, the boys I was talking to are going through puberty and they're kind 
kind of figuring out what they might want to do as jobs and they're sort of trying to assess who they are as people and as adults um, and that's a really hard time to deal with this whole this whole other thing yeah yeah you kind of get this snowball of who are who are you what do you want to be when you grow up uh who what you're going to stand for what are your beliefs and there's there's quite a black and white view on it um and being able to to meet somebody who can give you kind of almost the shades of gray in between is really important i think because mental health isn't a black and white situation it's like what you said with the recovery some people may have it as a bit of an achilles heel um that they may struggle with in other periods of their life when they go through um, hard times or really difficult stages or periods or moments of grief but then you do have as well those people that are able to kind of not not ever forget about it but you know they are able to live their life as if they hadn't ever been through anything sort of yeah yeah as you can see and as you can hear I'm a woman so I don't have a male perspective on this but I find it really fascinating and sometimes I think that these kind of conversations are as important as the what are you going to do with your life kind of thing you know being able to openly talk about things like mental health eating disorders etc yeah and I I expected them all to, to when I asked about questions at the end I expected them all to kind of staring into that lapse, right? Um, and they were, you know, some of the questions were more nuanced than others. Some of them were quite silly, but all of them felt, it felt like in particular, you know, the, the question about even about the obesity thing, it kind of felt like they were engaging with the topic and the wider social context and the kind of the world we live in, in sort of quite a thoughtful way, mm-hmm. um, which I really appreciated. You know, that's not, I'm not sure that's something that I thought about in much depth when I was 13 or 14. Mm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, with the with the book, you've got quite a nice depth of range of emotions. So obviously that it, it's a hard topic to talk about 100%, but I enjoyed the fact that there was also moments of humour and that's so true to life as well. You, I think you say that living with anorexia is slightly you're, you feel like you're on a knife edge and one moment you can be horrendously having the worst day ever and the next you're laughing uncontrollably and finding those and and it can go the reverse and finding those moments are so powerful and really good to expose as well and I was speaking to one of my friends actually and I remember when I was in day treatment with her we would have a couple of like hours every day where we wouldn't have a group session or we wouldn't be eating, etc. And I took in my laptop and did you ever play the Sims? I am familiar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I brought my laptop in with the Sims on and I'm my friend who is one of my closest friends was talking to me. She said, Oh, I used to love playing the Sims when I was younger. I worked out this cheat and, um, you can, you, you type it in and your Sims n- never have to eat. They're never hungry. And I literally turned to her and I was like, even your Sims were anorexic. <laughs> you know, it was finding yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. dark humor, but it, it always stuck with me. And we laughed so much about something that we probably shouldn't be laughing at because we were both quite ill at the time. But 
that's that's something that I do really like about British humour, especially is you've got yeah. those moments. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I do think that's the that's a big part of um, you know we we when you read a newspaper article about someone who's been through an eating disorder, it will tend to be a kind of and roll call of the worst possible moments of that. Mm. Um, and the truth of any mental health problem is it's happening around your life and there are better days and there are worse days and you don't stop um, enjoying everything and you don't stop making jokes and you don't, you know, you don't stop playing video games and you don't stop doing all of the things that constitute your life. Um, and particularly with, you know, eating disorders often last years and years and years and, you know, around the edges, you're, um, you're just living, you're just being a human in the world. Um, and I kind of wanted to represent um, that experience and I guess the weird juxtapositions that that creates and the weird, maybe unintended, um, the, the things you would never even think of if you hadn't been through this thing, but um, are have a different kind of nuance or kind of feel charged because you're going through an eating disorder because it's always happening in the backdrop of, of your life. What would you say were the things that most helped you on a personal level when you were coming, you know, when you were in in your treatment or coming out of it? What what were the things or those did you have moments where things clicked or was it a gradual, habitual process? Yeah, it's um, so. This was one of the real challenges I think of writing the book was trying to understand that process of recovery because I think when you're going through it, you, you don't, you're not analysing it too much, and you're you're just kind of concentrating on, on you. And um, I think so. One of them I've already mentioned is that uh, my so that so the recovery thing that that being a possible outcome. Uh, was something that my clinical psychologist mentioned to me like really early on in my treatment and I was baffled by but I guess that kind of planted the seed in my mind that this was like a possibility of a thing and I think that just that that even if I didn't really believe it that idea that that was a thing that happened to some people was quite important to me um, I think and I, I major on this quite a bit in the book but I guess I'd use the word connections so the social grouping around Max the character and indeed around me when I was going through this um, meaning his family and his close friends and also like people like teachers and things like that other people who helped him. I certainly found that uh, having social interactions that were where no one talked to me about my weight and my body and my eating and they weren't charged in that way so, so they weren't all about you need to eat this or you need to do whatever they were just about everyday life were, were pretty important and certainly that is something people say again about lots of mental health problems is that idea that don't talk to people about the problem just talk to them just like you know have that have that interaction that is that is just kind of a human connection and someone caring about you and asking you whatever about your life or doing whatever with you yeah that's probably the single thing that I think is biggest and I don't think I appreciated that at the time you know I don't think I was um I don't think I left a conversation like that was, oh wow I'm glad I had that conversation that made me feel uplifted and like life is all all good like I'm not suggesting it's this magic transformation but I do think in hindsight those moments were very important mm. yeah I think that, that that connection and especially when you're going something through something that is quite in its nature is quite a secretive disease 
Um, it wants to keep you close. It wants you to hide away and, and disconnect from people and life in general. So even if it's kind of just drip feeding those social interactions that aren't just based on, like you said, your weight, what you're eating, your shape, your size, how well you're doing or otherwise, I think that is really, really, really important. So I'm glad you kind of touched on that. What would you say if we could build a time capsule and uh, fast forward to five years, 10 years in the future, how would you want to see kind of the mental health of boys and men in the world? How would you like to see these conversations? Um, That's a big question. (laughs) I think, well, I think, you know, the, the one the one kind of basic obvious thing is I think um, like confidence is really important to people and having the confidence to be themselves. And I think that, that um, lies at the heart of lots of um, what we talk about when we talk about mental health is really that if people are happy with their self image and happy with the way the world sees them and, and there's less anxiety around that, then I think lots of mental health problems um, at the very least become easier to deal with. I think there's there's a related point around uh, which I kind of alluded to earlier about masculinity as a concept. I think that can be um, quite restricting um, as we see like things that are boy things to do and things that are girl things to do in a really blunt blunt way. I think that's quite restricting to to both and to everyone. Um, and I think again, um, kind of thinking a bit less in that way would be helpful to a lot of people's mental health and. In a broad way, as well as kind of specifically talking about kind of mental health problems, just more openness, I guess. Yeah, more openness, more communication. Like I think that that joke we made earlier about kind of Britishness and like not really talking about your feelings. Like we we suck at that. I still suck in my life, um, despite having been through this and having um, thought about this topic a lot. Um, I'm not very good at talking about how I feel in a direct kind of unguarded way. Um, and I think that can be a very valuable thing to do. I think, uh, and the flip side of that, I think, which again, I mentioned a little bit earlier is I think that kind of empath, making yourself see the world from other people's point of view more often in your everyday life. There's, uh, the talk that I, I did at the school, I started with this this very hackneyed joke, which is there's two fish swimming swimming along, um, and they swim towards an, an older fish coming the other way, and the older fish says to them, "How's the water today?" And then what? Then he he swims off, and and, and they, one of one of the fish turns to the other one and says, "What the hell is water?" And the point I was trying to make, which hopefully hopefully became clear is this idea of like noticing things right like you don't we don't tend to notice the things around us we don't tend to notice the things people around us are going through and if they are rude to us we tend to attribute that to the fact that they are a rude person rather than the fact that they have their car just they've just got found out they have to pay like a thousand pounds to get their car fixed or you know or they just got dumped or like whatever the thing is. Um, And that sort of broad social empathy, that idea of assuming the best of people rather than assuming the worst. um, I think we can characterize that either as being a mug. 
and getting like taken in by everyone, or we can characterize that as um, trying to be kind and trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. Is, is that kind of like that very, very school teachery thing of treat other people how you'd want to be treated? But like, I do think if we actually live that day to day a bit more and found ways to do that, found ways to make ourselves think about that more, that that would be a very healthy thing for almost everyone. Mm. Yeah, I really, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Where can everybody find you? Yeah, good question. Well, so firstly, they can find the book in bookshops um, and on all the usual places. Um, It's available now in the UK and the US. I should mention that. Maybe you can mention that in uh, yourself, but I'm I'm getting in there. Um, You can find me uh, at samuelpullen.com. And also, so I'm on various social media as Samuel underscore Pollen. So Twitter and Instagram being the ones I actually use day to day. Yeah. Fab. I'll um, I'll post all those links in the show notes as well. So if you want to keep up with Samuel and see all the exciting things coming up, make sure you go and give him a follow. And that's us for this week. Thank you so much for your time and talking about a subject that I am fascinated by. Thank you for having me. So I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Bye.